0: I'm Alex Jones, a syndicated radio and television host based in Austin, Texas. And for many years, I've been exposing the criminal activities of the global elite, also known as the New World Order. And this collection of power-mad megalomaniacs has been using a successive string of terrorist events to usher in their corrupt world government, a world government where populations, their own documents show, will be herded into compact cities will be issued national ID cards, and yes, even implantable microchips. Staggering amounts of evidence, an absolute proven fact that the government had prior knowledge and was instrumental in engineering the attacks on the Alfred P. Murrow building in Oklahoma City. And then, of course, none of you have to be reminded of the tragic events in 2001 on September 11th. My friends, the government just didn't have prior knowledge of September 11th al Qaeda attacks. they actually funded, trained, protected, coddled, shepherded al Qaeda into this country. The USA Patriot Act that has just eviscerated the Bill of Rights and Constitution has been passed and yes it pertains to Americans their cashless society, compact city control grid is falling into place. the people were preconditioned before all of these terrorist attacks to give up their liberties and then the government will be able to protect them from terrorists. Look at who really stands to gain from this. Look who has the motive.
1: Are we gonna evac the room for the fire or alarm? No, I gotta talk to 16 million people. This was done on purpose to shut down this interview. They're mad that it went on last night. I'm going live. George, for the last five minutes, I've been in an incredible emergency just waiting for you to come to me. George, we're sitting here in the room As the phone rings with your producer Tom Danheiser to put me on, the fire alarm goes off. Open the door, I want him to hear the fire alarm. Open the door. I want people to hear this live. We have a security guy walk up to us 30 minutes ago, about 25 minutes ago. And then he said, yeah, we had somebody do a fire alarm a few weeks ago, and me and Rob, my camera guy, were going, why is he telling us about a fire alarm? I forgot that part, George. These bastards have done this. I don't know how. They're planning to try to set us up or something. But this is incredible. We are here in the middle of this right now, George. Okay, we'll get out of here. Here, you stay. You come after us. Let's go. Come on. We'll see you. Perfect cover, that guy. I'm in command. Do what I say we're not time for this. stairs? Not the elevator. Can't yeah. 50 liters here. Come on. All right. The way. Tell them the stairs are by the elevator. They were trying to set us up. This is unbelievable. Oh, Jesus. We got to calm down and assess this. Oh, I totally forgot. He said, he comes back to me and I said, listen, everything's all right. And he said, listen, Alex and Rob, one more time, I'm going to fuck you up. You're not. On the name deal. I know. You didn't. That's it. Done. See? They have See? Already- it gets worse. I just realized he also knew our first names. Done. They are doing some kind of operation. Jesus Christ. I just hope they don't do some really bad stuff. That's all.
2: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin.
3: And this is Robbie Martin. And Mike's here, too. Got the (laughs) Prize Martin fam back again.
2: Back in the saddle. So, you guys, we've been wanting to do this podcast for quite a while. Robbie, I know that you and I have definitely been wanting to focus on Alex Jones for a while, ever since you interviewed his ex-wife. People should check out that episode from a couple of years back. Um, You know, there's several things happening in the news right now that makes... Alex Jones, especially relevant and important to deconstruct, of course, aside from the fact that he's one of the most controversial people in the world, the martyr and poster child for social media banning, who's paved the way for the mass censorship that we've seen become normalized and even encouraged. Um, Of course, the court case about Sandy Hook, the film Alex's War was basically dropped like right before the trial deliberations to try, kind of try to rehabilitate Alex's image. Um, he was already found guilty in court, but the whole proceedings that followed was about what he was supposed to pay to the families. Before we get into this film and the court case and what makes all of this so relevant and important to talk about now, we wanted to explain why we feel the three of us can add A different angle that no one else has really given a fair shake about this subject, because it it really is true that the the coverage of Alex Jones is completely dominated either, A, by totally hysterical caricatures painted by the mainstream media that essentially leads condemning him as a 9-11 truther, therefore as a dangerous, unhinged conspiracy theorist, Or this kind of new strange or or like the total right wing, you know, reactionary like revisionist Trump type media that like Bannonite stuff or the um, the new kind of weird wave of this post left reactionary new right crowd who are painting themselves as the new subversive populists by mainstream outlets like New York Magazine, Variety, and you have people in the so-called post-left scene like the Red Scare hosts and Glenn Greenwald uh, rehabilitating Alex in a very strange way while omitting why he is so damaging. And so what we wanted to do today was address all of that, but also kind of give an understanding and a sympathetic view of why Alex became popular, why a lot of people on the left um, liked and listened to Alex Jones back in the day. This is decades ago, right? This was the advent of the internet, alternative media. Um, He had an enormous influence, not just on right-wingers and Trump supporters, for people who are maybe new or younger, much younger than us, but also leftists and people who were just critics of the mainstream media a long time ago, especially the monumental shift that was happening in the Bush administration, the mass awakening in a post 9-11 world. Because the truth is, even though he's painted as this kind of cartoon character who never had any appeal to the left, and, and you'd have to be a fucking moron to be appealed to someone like him as a leftist and be embarrassed about that, the truth is that we all did watch him 20 or so years ago, Mike, Robbie, and myself, And in fact, that is actually how I got introduced to alternative media in general in the early 2000s when Alex Jones was one of the only figures out there paving this space to criticize both parties, the elites, the police state, questioning the mass media and government lies about 9-11, especially in the disturbing era of unquestioning patriotism and stenography from the media after 9-11 as the U.S. was launching this huge worldwide war on terror. So. Of course, I was super politically ignorant about communism at the time, and I didn't understand or piece together for quite a while that Alex Jones's entire ideology was nested in virulent anti-left politics in the vein of the John Birch Society. So I think this became super apparent, much more obviously mask-off racist under the Obama administration, and then became completely full mask-off right-wing authoritarian leading up to Trump's presidency. So... Um, so Mike and Robbie, I mean, Robbie, why don't we start with you? Because you actually introduced me to Alex Jones. Like, do you want to talk about this era and, and how you started watching Alex and what you remember Um, about him?
4: Yeah. So I, I think for me, um, one of the most attractive things about Jones, uh, when I first started listening to him and watching him, uh, was that he was a very Texan uh acting <laughs> he had a very thick texan accent uh and it was extremely anti bush to the point where he seemed more passionately critical and angry at the bush administration than pretty much like any left media person did at the time it was it was sort of strange it was like at the time i remember you know michael moore fahrenheit 911 um a lot of the work he was doing seemed like Pretty important at the time, and then Alex Jones came around, and I was like, "Holy shit!" There's this, you know, Texan conservative guy who hates Bush with a with such a fiery hatred, and he thinks that he was involved in 9-11. Like this, this guy, you know, this just something about him was very appealing to me. That energy, that um just that level of, you know, it wasn't even just that he was anti government. It was like just having a conservative person who sounded like a Texan that going that hard against the Bush administration seemed like kind of special or unique or, um, or even, I guess I, I would, I will admit, it seemed somehow authentic let's say back then. Um, and even though I was smart enough at the time to like not trust or take in or believe a lot of the things Alex Jones was saying, I was one of those people back then who was like, Alex Jones is right 75% of the time. You know, he's like 25% crazy, but doesn't matter. He's right like 75% of the time. And that was my attitude back then. And that's sort of what allowed me to, you know, on one hand, not think that he was a sort of arbiter of truth telling, but on the other hand, thinking that he had some really important cutting and edgy things to say that society at that point was not allowing in, in terms of questioning things like 9-11, for example, or even going hard against the Iraq war as he did. I mean, there are things like that, that, um, you know, there was like a, there was kind of like a hole, I guess, in my heart or in my soul after 9-11 that in some ways there was like a void that needed to be filled with something. And I think Alex Jones was the perfect person to do that for me at the time, because, where else are you going to channel all that rage and emotion that you're feeling, the confusion of knowing that something was fucked up on nine 11. The Bush administration clearly lied about it. They lied about everything, you know, the reasons why they went to war. It was just such an egregious and offensive era to like the very nature of your soul. If you were a thinking, caring human being at the time. So it seemed like this, you know, that here comes this crazy fiery Texan guy who was like, I'm going to fucking, you know, take it all the way. Like, Take it to the hill. Um, and it seemed really imp- It seemed important at the time. And so I guess that's all I'll say about, like, my introduction to Alex Jones. Um, I don't know if you have any similar thoughts, Abby or Mike, what your feelings are on that. But that was kind of what it was like for me
3: at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was, like, one of the first people I watched that was, like, uh, radical, I guess, I would describe it at the time, but yeah, it was like when I first got back from Iraq. So it was like, I was in the army still, this is like late 2004, early 2005. Um, Mm. I was like, you know, I was stationed at Fort Drum, which is a super shitty, super cold place. I was able to get an apartment off base, but you know, there's really nothing to do there. So I would just like be in my room on my computer trying to look up, stuff that was critical of the Iraq war and whatever. And like, you know, Alex Jones is like what I somehow found. And it's funny to think back then because this is like pre-YouTube, right? 2004, there was no YouTube. So I don't even know how I was like finding all these weird videos. I mean, maybe it was on infowars.com. I don't even remember how I came across it, but I just know that I was looking for shit that was going to tell me something different than what the army was telling me or Bush was saying and, and all that stuff. And so I somehow stumbled on Alex Jones and like, I don't even remember the, the, the off the wall shit. I mean, maybe it's cause I was just seeing clips that were like stuff that I thought was good. I don't know. I just remember that. Like I saw cri- Iraq war, critical stuff, stuff critical of the police, whatever. And like, that was kind of my gateway into like, Oh, there's like a different world out there, a different way of thinking about shit. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I don't and there and I remember meeting other people in my unit who like we kind of like found each other, other people who that were watching Alex Jones also. And so there was this like somewhat and it's weird because like I wasn't that's what hit that's what I found before I found out that there was like an actual anti-war movement. Like I had no idea at this time that there was like an organized left-wing anti-war movement and organization. Somehow my only frame of reference for opposition to what the government was doing was Alex Jones. And so not to say that he was better than the other shit that was out there at the time, but he definitely was like the most prominent. And so he's what myself and other people like me just happened to find when we were just exploring the early 2000s internet trying to find like a counter narrative to the what we thought was obvious bullshit that's really fascinating because i you know even though i wasn't in the army
4: i had a similar experience to you i remember just searching and searching i was like trying to scrape the i don't know that i don't want to say the bottom of the barrel but i was like trying desperately to find things that aligned with my level of outrage or that reflected the a lot of the questions i had about the war 911 things like that and it was somehow my searching took me to alex jones so somehow i feel like you and me we even though we weren't using youtube or whatever to search for things it's like there must there must have been something there with alex jones's ability to do seo or i don't know if seo is the right word at the time but like Analytics or something to be able to get that level of like attention on the internet already, like in the early 2000s, late 90s. Alex Jones somehow was like, if you would search for these things, you would eventually come across him. And I think that that was probably not an uncommon experience for other people as well. It was like the internet's the place to find edgy information that's not on the mainstream media. And then where what happens when you try to find that the most edgy takes on nine eleven of the wars? It, it kind of I think it would inevitably lead you to Jones. I mean, it seem, seems kind of like that. I don't know if you would agree with that. Totally,
3: but. and it's like it's not that the internet was the only place. I was, and like, I think this is good to like help dispel that. Like, oh, anyone who listens to Alex Jones, like they're just a complete dumbass, like hillbilly, whatever. Like all the derogatory things that get thrown on like Alex Jones viewers because. You know, I definitely wasn't that at the time. And I was also going to like, I'd go to like Barnes and Noble or Borders at the time that I was the more (laughs) dominant one and just, and look in their like political section and buy books that I thought would help me too. And so I I ended up buying like Noam Chomsky and stuff. So it's not like I was like in like a John Birch world or libertarian world or whatever. I was like looking for anything that was a counter narrative. And so that when I would, would go to a bookstore and buy stuff, I would end up getting good stuff and stuff that I would consume but then going online, you're right. It was I wasn't finding Noam Chomsky videos about Iraq. I, it was Alex Jones that
2: popped up. Yeah, I, I definitely it, it was my entryway into alternative media. Like I said, in anti-war politics, and because I wasn't an established leftist at the time, I wasn't aware of the framing, like the overall framing. From Alex's point of view and I think Robbie if I remember correctly you were watching a lot more of like the streams of Alex Jones so I think that you were probably oh, yeah. more aware of how crazy he really was because you know when he's doing unfiltered three hour live streams uh, that shit obviously comes out especially the whole like Satanist stuff um, but for me I was seeing just more curated clips watched a couple of his documentaries that were obviously well put together carefully constructed And yeah, I mean, just just the clips of him were like very intriguing. And I do not remember how crazy he really... Like, of course, he was crazy at the time. And obviously, this is all framed in like Mm -hmm. a right-wing ideology. But at the time, I I didn't take away that. I just took away, wow, it's really interesting that this guy is saying this stuff. It's really daring. And I didn't hear anyone else talking like that.
3: Yeah. You know, one thing I... I just remembered I guess this is like a repressed memory but I guess just like (laughs) thinking about the impact that it had on me Which I think will play into the discussion about the sandy hook stuff and everything is that I do remember that while it did open me up to alternative politics and alternative media in a positive way It also I remember it the impact that had on me was making me extremely fucking paranoid to the point where when uh, one night in my apartment at Fort drum I had a, a neighbor, it was like a two two unit building. And so my front door, there's another front door right next to my front door. In the middle of the night, the police came to my neighbor's house because like the guy's wife had like called the cops on him for like hitting her or something. And so I woke up in the middle of the night to the cops like banging on the door of my neighbor's house. And so I'm like peeking out my window and I thought it was I thought it was my front door. And I believed that the police were coming to my apartment to get me and like black bag me. Because I had been watching Alex Jones. Oh my god, So So that shit. was the impact that it was having on me. Was I found this source of the truth. But there's this whole apparatus out there. That wants to get you. It's like dangerous truth. And there's this like secret police force. That's going to like arrest you. If you're like watching. And it's like that was the actually the impact it had on me. It was making me excessively. And irrationally paranoid. About like being punished for going on his website and i remember like being terrified and i was like oh fuck like what am i gonna do you know what
2: this is really interesting because i feel like there is a whole sect subsect of people that got that didn't go along to the whole trajectory of his whole like then going to the new world order then end game then all of the shit that he continued to do it's like i wasn't there Like I was into the 9/11 truth stuff. I was into a lot of the stuff that he was talking about the police state and even the Bilderberg stuff. I was like pretty intrigued by. But then it it went a really weird direction where I was like I'm not. He's not selling me on this part of it. And then it got into the crisis actor shit, every mass shooting stage, and I was like (laughs) I I cannot believe that people are just kind of like mindlessly following whatever this movement this the trajectory of this movement is going. And it would just seem like it was just totally unhinged at that point. Um, so it is interesting, Mike, because I feel like there is a whole portion of this audience that did latch onto that and that continued to go down that paranoid rabbit hole where it was everything is a setup. It's the whole gang stalking thing where people think that ev- like the agents are on their ass, and um, you know I've seen. Hundreds of people have written me just over the course of my political career as being a public figure. I have had so many people who have gone down that paranoid rabbit hole of thinking that they're being gang stalked and basically in the vein of that Alex Alex Jonesian paranoia. But I will also say that like there's a whole other portion of people that I have met that are good politically that are really embarrassed to admit that they were on the same road that we were. Um, friends of ours today who started off the same exact way that we did, that they are b- basically around the same age as us. And they all started off watching Alex Jones. And then, you know, eventually they did get guided into the right uh, politics. But um, but yeah, it is really interesting how like some people actually did careen right off the cliff.
3: Yeah. And my own paranoia at the time, I guess, was also partially because I was getting like harassed by anonymous like leaders in the military for having spoken out against the Iraq war so I would get like weird phone calls at night like threatening phone calls at night from people so I was already thinking that like oh because I was in the military and opposing the Iraq war that they were already on the list absolutely I crossed the line by looking at the truth online and then that's why they're coming (laughs) for me but I think the reason of the paranoia instilled in me and his entire audience, I mean, because that's ultimately, which I think we'll get into later, is ultimately where all his shit leads. He, he brings you the truth to tell you that it's all connected to this larger plot, this end game, the end of the world is coming, they're, the depopulation plan, all this stuff. And you have to prepare for it <laughs> by buying these survival products so that when the government does come to finally do this plan that they've been trying to carry out, you are prepared because you have invested in all of the products you're going to need to survive mm-hmm. it it's um it's
4: i, I just want to i want to emphasize to people that we there's no reason i think to be ashamed at being into Alex Jones in the early 2000s or during the war or even after because it's like he really was in a position to suck in a lot of energy from people trying to go around mainstream media to seek the truth it's just simply a fact that he w- he had that much internet saturation and reach where it seemed like he was sort of the first go-to, uh, that you would find if you were trying to find stuff beyond, you know, Michael Moore or whoever. Um, and I do think your experience was fairly common, Mike, of trying to piece together, uh, you know, a sort of worldview based on what you could find. Like you were, you were buying Noam Chomsky books. You were just trying to buy or look for things that would feed that, you know, that curiosity or that those feelings that you had. Um, I think that, I don't I just don't think anyone should feel bad or ashamed about even admitting to this because um I think it was a lot of people's trajectory and and I think that here's the problem too it's like a lot of people even from the left are probably embarrassed or don't want to say how much they were you know looking into 9/11 truth at a certain time and I think that that's partly because they're embarrassed of being Alex Jones listeners like The association, the toxic association, the poison pill that Alex Jones basically was to important issues has actually made people, I think, even embarrassed now to question 9-11 or to say, you know, to speak their mind about it because of Alex Jones. Like that's how much of a damaging impact he's had on the search for truth is it's created shame that has lasted for years among people. Um, And I think that's a really important factor of this, too, because it's like it is curious why someone like Jones was lifted up to the extent that he was and, you know, became kind of a poison pill for so many different things in all media in the end. Um, And I think, you know, that's something we're going to talk about more. But but Alex Jones in general and InfoWars, Mike, you said you don't remember initially finding anything too insane. Abby, you kind of said the same thing um you know it wasn't until endgame that you kind of like broke with his his mindset i think from the very first time i remember going to infowars it wasn't anything i watched it wasn't anything i listened to alex jones say it wasn't even like the demonic stuff because he would talk about that you know as far back as the late 90s it was the deliberate spreading of disinformation that was unbelievable on its face as like headline news articles on InfoWars. So I'll give you a specific example. I remember the very first time I went to InfoWars, I was super excited to come across something so edgy and anti-Bush. And I remember even I was struggling with an article headline on there that said over 5,000 US troops who have died in, in Afghanistan are being frozen in a warehouse like in Bagram and their bodies, um, you know, are being hidden or something. And I remember reading this headline thinking, you know, I was like probably 20 or 19 at the time. And I remember thinking like, wait, how is it possible that 5,000 U.S. <laughs> <laughs> no family members have like spoken out or like asked where their bodies were? Or anything? Like it? it was just so unbelievable in its face. And I remember knowing from that moment on that like, something's fishy about this website <laughs> it didn't it didn't occur to me oh this is deliberate disinformation to poison pill all media or these are idiots trying to get clicks and more almost just seemed to me like a almost like remember uh, we were talking recently about the sun Abbey, like the yeah. tap tabloid it's it struck me more like that like there's some truth here but there's also just some ridiculous bullshit here kind of like the scene in men in black where Tommy Lee Jones goes and buys the tabloids to like find out about
3: right yeah. what's really going on. That's
4: the real <laughs> like news that vibe to me, but it was more on the truth side where I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of bullshit here. So I think it, it didn't occur to me or I didn't really know. And I don't know if you guys had an experience like this, but I'll just give you a really quick story where I was, um, I was working in Fremont, California and I would help. Uh, I would rent apartments to people in, I was sort of, uh, involved in like a property management thing where people would sometimes call the number and ask if there are any apartments or space available in our building. And one time a guy from Austin, Texas called, just sort of cold called me while I was in the office that day. And by the end of our call, I just sort of curiously asked him, I was like, and this was like in 2004, I was like, Hey, by any chance, do you know a guy named Alex Jones from Austin, Texas, like a radio host? and the guy let out this big sigh, he was like, (sighs) and I thought he was going to say something mad, or just say like, that guy is a fucking kook, he's a piece of shit, and instead, here's what he said, he's like, Alex Jones is one of the most important revolutionary figures that this country has ever seen, Alex Jones is the new Martin Luther King, within about a Three weeks of of me getting this call while I was in the office that day, Lori, um, my wife, was was driving around Fremont. I think she went to stop at a gas station to get gas, and she had an InfoWars sticker on her car at the time. We got some InfoWars stickers. We didn't really know any other Alex Jones fans or listeners. It seemed really obscure to us at the time. Like it was you know, I was into like noise music and things like that at the time. It seemed kind of like similar to that. It's like a very obscure, fringy signaling thing to put a bumper sticker of this on your car. You know, not in a million years would you probably encounter someone who's also a listener or fan, right? Well, Lori at a gas station one day happened to get approached by a guy who, and this was sort of a weird way of being approached. He First, he wanted to buy her car which is sort of a strange, you know, when someone randomly approaches you to ask to buy your car, it's always a little weird. And then he noticed that he, she had an InfoWars sticker on her car and she's like, oh yeah, like, uh, you listen to him, like, you know, me and my husband, we, we listen to him all the time, but we, you know, we think he's, you know, he's right about a lot of stuff, but he's actually like really crazy. You know, we don't take everything he says seriously. Kind of just kind of like as like i think lori was trying to signal to this guy that like she wasn't crazy basically and in response he was like oh i believe every single thing he says he's like he's a total he's like one of the bit greatest like truth tellers like similar to the thing that i heard from that guy on the phone and it was it really i remember lori and i were a little bit chilled to the bone by this experience because it was like within the span of a month both of us had for for the very first time ever encountered real life, other Alex Jones listeners who were total devotees, cult members died in the wool, full on, no looking back. Like no, like everything he says is perfect. He is un, infallible. Like that was the attitude. And it, I remember it, it's kind of scared us. We were like, that's weird. Like I didn't, I just didn't think, you know, I, I assumed a lot of people understood him as being, he says some, a lot of crazy things, but all the, all these other things he's saying are good. Um, but that wasn't the case and I think that was a very educational moment for me that probably helped me on some level unmoor myself um, from like you know getting deeper sucked into his world because I was able I was able to keep more of a distance from that point on like knowing that I was not like his other listeners Do you know what I mean it's
2: such a interesting point because at the same time i was like fully immersed in the 9 11 truth movement and unfortunately alex jones had painted himself as the godfather of this movement he literally took credit for starting it not just like the godfather status
4: he would claim that he was responsible for the movement itself like that's how fucking egotistical he was
2: right and so it was already toxified in that way that alex jones had already made it so that you could not Unattach yourself from his influence and from his control of the rhetoric, from the narrative, from all of it. And I think that is probably one of the number one reasons why um, it stopped gaining steam, is because as Alex Jones was the primary figure um, in the movement, and as he became more controversial, it really turned off so many people that were mainstream figures that were leftists that were liberal actors you know even some hollywood royalty people um they completely detached themselves from it distanced themselves widely because of what alex jones had done to completely poison pill 9-11 truth and unfortunately um you know i was I thought it was cool that he had this kind of bombastic zeal and that he would go out there screaming 9-11 was an inside job and really, you know, kind of in a very daring way, put himself out there to confront all these people. And of course, he inspired a lot of other people to do that in that style, including myself for a short period of time. And then just quickly, I realized like how like negative of an impact that had, because now I like cringe thinking of like, how would I see myself if I just like ran into a room screaming that to people? It was just like such a bizarre approach to pull people into questioning 9-11, even though I think, you know, tens of millions of people in this country obviously question the attacks and still believe that there was something very strange about what we were told. But like, I feel like it was a really bad approach and it really did a lot of damage, um, which is why later on, of course, I... I said, I don't believe it was an inside job because that language that Alex Jones harnessed and popularized, I think, was a, a very bad toxification of something that was very important and could have been very successful. And it, it is inflammatory on purpose and by design, because anything that Alex Jones touches is incendiary and essentially toxifies the questioning of any of these narratives. And then, of course, when you lump in what became known as trutherism, negatively associated with Alex Jones, it became attached to anything. So now you're a Sandy Hook truther. Now you're a COVID truther, you know? And so it was just this horrible, horrible association with something that I feel like a lot of people still have questions about with now being like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to be known as that because I don't believe in any of this other shit.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'll just say for myself, it was never the phrase inside job specifically that seemed like like if I was going to rank the top five problematic ways that Alex Jones tainted or toxified 9-11 truth the phrase inside job would not be in the top five um, like I probably personally would would say that that's probably uh, on some level that's probably what I think happened it was it was like a technically some kind of inside job But it was more i think what you're saying what you're touching on about his style yeah approach the let's just call it like what it is the larouche pack yes aggression right that permeated not just his following but also like his sort of the following or the the group that he kind of groomed and spawned into existence we are change this aggressive confrontational style of people some people would call it ambush journalism It's more like LaRouche Pack aggressive, bully-like behavior to try to spread a message. Now, does that even make sense on its face to try to bully someone into submission and be aggressive to them to try to get them to accept your message? No, it doesn't. But if you're familiar with the LaRouche Pack, that's like literally their whole entire model is like yet like screaming in people's faces who even like remotely disagree or have some any questions about what they're doing on when they're out on the street it's one of the weirdest political organizations ever it's also pretty suspicious but the fact that like Alex Jones basically made the 9-11 movement at its core like this you confront people you repeat talking points and you just sort of robotically like parrot them and aggressively defend them with your Heart and soul, it just doesn't make sense on its face to do that. Like, why not have a more analytical, kind of nuanced, kind of thoughtful approach to it? Like, we don't know what happened on 9 11, but here's all the questions that you should be asking or thinking about. I think in your case, Abby, I remember sort of, I think I was probably more into Alex Jones than you were, and you kind of went off on a trajectory um, a while I mean obviously like at the very beginning of sort of all this but you went off more into the 9-11 truth trajectory so it's almost like I don't think you were as much of an Alex Jones listener as me but you were much more immersed in the world of 9-11 truth and by just the mere fact that Alex Jones was sort of the leader you know self-proclaimed leader of that movement it's almost like you couldn't avoid you know him or just having to be in that world in general at the time Um, I think it was kind of unavoidable so it was like you i think on some level probably had to like even if you had critical thoughts about him it was there was almost a situation at the time where it was like if you criticized alex jones that was a, not a like you couldn't you weren't allowed to almost yeah you had to
2: like placate like, his oh followers
4: exactly yeah it was a very cult like following and and i think from the very beginning um you know what was his actual let's let's just let just ask this question. We don't have to answer it. But what was his actual theory, the granularity of it and, and what happened on 9 eleven? Who were the people that he thinks were involved specifically? If you really think about the details, the getting into the weeds of what he ever said about 9 eleven, it's kind of remarkable how there's almost nothing there, meaning that he he, he was a big talker he had a lot of anger and energy and catchy catchphrases like inside job, controlled demolition whatever but when it really came down to it who was he who was he going after who what was he saying happened i couldn't tell you i think that that really goes to show how much it was hollow it was all about this these this catchy rhetoric you know he would talk about the neocons sometimes but who which neocons Was it Wolfowitz that he thought was involved? Was it Cheney? He might've said Cheney was involved at times, but everybody said that. That wasn't like new. You know, that Mike Rupert wrote an entire book basically saying Cheney was in the loop of 9-11 called Crossing the Rubicon. But Alex Jones, what did he actually contribute as far as a theory or a construct about what happened? If you really think about it, he contributed absolutely nothing in that department. And I think that's kind of fascinating looking back on it to think how did he become the leader or self-proclaimed leader of the, this movement when he really contributed nothing of substance to it like
2: literally I mean think let like think about that it's kind of strange I mean it's a very very good point that all he did was just adopt other people's theories and just repeat yeah. things in a more sensational way and then claim that he invented Some sort of huge overarching thesis that did not exist and that he could never really explain. And really, when you think back on it, I mean, the whole like adoption of his whole persona, this characterization of him being this renegade who charted this new path when really William Cooper did what came before Alex Jones, right? That was never really given the same sort of credit that Alex Jones got. And I, I just thought of something else too. I mean, one of the reasons that I think um, I was appealed to him also was the Ruby Ridge Waco stuff, which, you know, goes off into this whole other thread about militias and the distrust of the federal government from like right wing militias and stuff like that, and the OKC bombing and Timothy McVeigh and that whole sect of society of anti government people like the libertarian militia people. But, um, but I think that even for people on the left, I mean, Waco was such an insane crime, you know, that the government just burned alive, like all of these children killed 82 people for no reason um, after this crazy standoff in 1993. And then Ruby Ridge, of course, was just such a crazy story. And so to seize that energy to become known as like the guy Who's speaking out against that, you know, raising $100,000 to like memorialize this like church on the compound of Waco. And then it like gave him almost the credibility to then just continue on being like the person to question the government. And so it got folded into that sphere of kind of the right wing and, you know, militia type people without even like me really understanding that at the time.
4: Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to comment really quickly. Um, Just a, a side note. I mean, Oklahoma City bombing is very interesting because just for me personally, I think it's very, very suspicious. And unfortunately, one of the best documentaries made about it and how many odd contradictions there were about the story features Alex Jones in it a ton. And if it didn't feature Alex Jones in it, everything else in it is like very solid. Like it has tons of news clips from the time that are like very bizarre about how the police keep saying that they're pulling bombs out of the building like explosive device inside the fbi building the fact that there's no footage of the actual rider truck exploding to me is still very suspicious and the actual bomb itself the the crater impact on the building is is unusual to me um it could have been you know, I, I, it's possible that it happened the way the government says it happened, but on some level I don't think it did. So like, I, it's like, that's one weird thing is like that also helped catalyze Alex Jones as he was a Oklahoma city bombing, like truther as well. And he was featured in a very early documentary about it. Um, and, but I think that that, you know, that really elevated things too, is like, um, It was in the 90s, there was sort of the shift again, you know, focus on like right wing militia people. And I think it was sort of the perfect era or time period for Alex Jones to come out of. Like you were saying, William Cooper was the real deal. He like literally died uh, after being, you know, the feds tried to serve him a warrant for tax evasion. Like he died in a shootout. You know, could you imagine Alex Jones doing (laughs) something like that? No, Alex Jones is too much of a narcissist, you know, to ever consider doing something like that so uh I mean it just but oddly though Bill Cooper Alex Jones used to shit on him from the very beginning it was almost like an imitate and replace thing where Alex Jones would be like people would call up and be like hey what do you think about Bill Cooper And he's like I don't even know who that is he's like who's Bill Cooper like he would lie and then other times he'd be like uh he'd be like i i don't know why this guy hates me so much he's like i don't have a problem with him so he then he would like admit that he knew who he was and then other times he would say yeah he seems like a nice guy i you know don't really have a problem with him but that ufo stuff man that he would talk about really wacky and, and kind of like poison pilled <laughs> like he would use that term it, like and he would say like a poison pilled the rest of his stuff now just sort of a total side note tangent what's really odd about cooper is he was one of the first people I ever remember reading about saying that he in the Navy watched, eyewitness watched himself from a ship in the Navy at night, a UFO come out of the water and and like accelerate into the sky. And I remember thinking that was obviously crazy when I first read that in Bill Cooper's book. But what's fascinating now is this is now like mainstream government talking points that, there are UFOs, and they fly out of the water. Guess what, guys? Like, we now admit UFOs are real, and we believe they also have like this crazy ability to f- accelerate out of like the water. So it's just kind of an odd thing that Bill Cooper, you know, one of the craziest things he put in his book, actually ends up being something that the now the military talks about. So just totally. Sort of-
2: no, William Cooper was right, man. He he was on that <laughs> tip back in the day, and now the Pentagon's finally acknowledged it. I mean, it, it is so crazy. And I think another thing that gave Alex Jones the credibility with like alternative media heads or seekers early on was just his guerrilla radio accessibility, the infrastructure that he had set up with um, kind of capturing this market. You know, hundreds of radio stations that he was like... I, was it like a totally guerrilla style? Or was he actually syndicated? I think at, at the beginning he wasn't, right? He was doing... um like the illegal, I guess, like taking over A like an AM station and like putting his his radio station on there before his show was actually sold. Um so that I think gave him a lot of credibility. It was like, oh man, like this guy's so daring and like doing this really crazy shit to get the truth out there. You know, and and like let's not forget that even in really uh amazing movies like Awaking Life and A Scanner Darkly, he was Featured in those movies as, like, this sage, like, this this ranting philosopher who's, like, had these cool cameo guest spots. Like, that really helped his image, too, you know?
4: And anti both sides. Like, the, the specifically, the scene in Waking Life is, like, an anti-partisan politics. Like, the Democrats and Republicans are horrible. They're trying to force-feed you slop. And uh, that was sort of—that was my introduction to him. And that was, I think— a lot of people, tens of hundreds of thousands of people's introduction to him was in Waking Life. And so it's weird, actually, in a way that Richard Linkletter hasn't had to uh, explain himself. Like, I don't think I, I haven't seen anybody going after him and being like, so, hey, can we get a comment from you about what you think about basically creating the Frankenstein monster that became Alex Jones, like <laughs> lifting, like,
3: be, like putting him in film? Yeah, but do, on the you map? Remember,
2: do you remember watching him in those movies? Or in I don't, Life?
3: and I don't even remember the Scanner Darkly thing. But, like, I guess it just speaks to this thing about, like, how people are made to feel, like, ashamed for having at one time, like, like, Alex yeah. Jones. But, like, it, the fact that he was considered this figure that was, could be in these two movies that were not, like, weird right-wing crank movies at all. Were, like, cool movies. Um, and it was you know, portrayed as that kind of figure, which the, the filmmakers obviously thought that, that he was. So it wasn't just people who were like alone in their barracks room in the tundra of upstate New York who were like finding solace in Alex Jones. It was like, he was considered kind of a a cultural figure. And so, yeah, it's like his, even though there was the, he's obviously evolved since then into a much bigger monster, which I think the Sandy hook trial really demonstrates in a very decisive way. And the, you know, and or why Trump. The, yeah. Right. And why the film that came out about him, Alex's War, which we'll talk about later, is such a disservice because it tries to go back and recreate who he is f- to introduce him to an even larger audience.
2: Yeah. And let's not forget people like Martin Sheen, you know, really high profile yeah. Hollywood progressive. He felt the same way. I mean, he Alex Jones talks about he, how he was flown out on a private jet by Martin Sheen yeah. to dine with Anthony Hopkins And he was essentially showered with praise by these Hollywood elites who were like, you're doing incredibly important work exposing the Bush administration. Let's not forget a couple of years later, the Charlie Sheen, you know, big blowout, the crack blowout with uh, Alex Jones. I mean, him just attaching himself to Alex Jones, basically saying 9-11 was an inside job on his show He was friends with Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. He did a big interview with David Lynch. I mean, several high-profile people who were friends with him and doing favorable interview exchanges with him, Robbie.
4: I think that that just really goes to show how much of an underground influence Alex Jones was and how, like, even if you were a Hollywood celebrity like Martin Sheen trying to seek out the truth of 9-11 or the Iraq War, just like me and Mike, You would eventually come across him by Googling for long enough. And it was like there was this void out there and Alex Jones filled this void. So even someone who's like a Hollywood liberal found Alex Jones very appealing. And it was viral within Hollywood, kind of in the underground 9-11 truth, strangely enough. And we've talked about that on previous podcast, It's something that, you know, even Alec Baldwin still brings up on Twitter about the building collapsing and how fast it fell. It's like, whoa, dude, like you're still, that's wild. You're still
2: in that. Yeah. I mean, weirdly and Martin... enough, Alex Bald- or Alec Baldwin was roommates with Max Kaiser in college. Just a little weird <laughs> Amazing. segue there. Um, yeah, that is, that
3: is a strange connection, but I guess uh, maybe they went to a good college. A lot of successful people turned out of there. Um, but no, Martin Sheen is wasn't also wasn't some like libertarian John Birch type guy. Like he was very supportive of the answer coalition during the Iraq war. He helped organize like contingents of Hollywood celebrities to come to the big anti-war marches in Hollywood, which were organized by, you know, communists. And so like this was, you know, he's, he's a genuinely, you know, progressive, like kind of like lefty guy. And so the fact that he was, was swooned by Alex Jones also, it kind of you know, puts it in a different context, like the amount of uh, attention and support Jones was able to garner at that period in his career. Absolutely.
2: Robbie, you've had a lot of good things to say about his stint in Bohemian Grove, too, which kind of put him on the map, which is also shown favorably in Alex's war as, you know, again, him being this renegade infiltrating Uh the Grove. But you've brought up the point over and over again that, like, why was he allowed into this highly... Secretive, very secluded kind of gathering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, you know, I mean, do you want to talk about that?
4: Sure. I mean, I'll just I'll just mention this overall theory that I've constructed, or I, you know, especially ever since this Alex Jones documentary came out, where, um, let's take it back to Jim Tucker for a second because uh, it's it feels similar to me to what happened with Bohemian Grove. Here we have this elite. You know, billionaire, um, world world government influencer group called Bilderberg that has its meeting in secret every single year in a completely different location uh, on the planet. Very exclusive, very secretive. Uh, they hide um, like they have like a whole security perimeter around the hotel that they're you know that they it at. You can't even get into the hotels when they're hosting it. It's like they rent the whole hotel. It seemed like a very secretive, very powerful, and very interesting you know, meeting uh, group that would, that would take place that was fascinating to know about. Um, now, for some reason, there was an insider in Bilderberg who would leak the guest list and the location every single year via through an alt-media conduit. Now, this is actually pre-Alex Jones. Now, here's the most fascinating part about it for me. Someone inside Bilderberg who had access to this information, whether they were a top-level Bilderberger or just a managerial, maybe they were one of the people involved in helping produce the events, I don't know. But they decided to give this information to a reporter named Jim Tucker for a newspaper called the American Free Press. Now, I don't, I mean, and this is going to sound crazy maybe to some people who have no idea what I'm even talking about so far, but the organization's name is Bilderberg. It sounds like a Jewish name, right? It's, it's, that's on its face, it does. So it's very odd to me that someone, a leaker from within inside of it, would give all this information to someone who writes for a literal neo-Nazi, unmistakably neo-Nazi Holocaust denying newspaper of all the places. You could funnel this information through to get it to be exposed to the public, it's very fascinating to me that someone within Bilderberg decided to funnel it through someone who works for an outlet like that and who literally denied the Holocaust himself. Now, so then taking it to the Bohemian Grove thing, uh, Alex Jones basically, quote unquote, sneaks into the Grove. Now, when you hear this story about him sneaking in, it's not really accurate in the sense that he literally walks in through the front gate and doesn't get questioned, doesn't get carded. Nobody talks to him. Nobody asks him any questions. He originally was intending to sneak in. Him and John Ronson were had this plan to basically like barrel through the redwoods um, and come into the grove like through the back. There's no perimeter fence according to a lot of rumors or stories you hear about the grove. It's just empty, open redwoods. So if you know where it is, you could probably get to it with like a you know, a few miles of hiking through like treacherous redwoods or whatever. So that's what Alex Jones tried to do. But it ends up that he popped out of the Redwoods in the fucking parking lot for Bohemian (laughs) Grove. And I'll just say for myself, I've been in the parking lot of Bohemian Grove and one of the coolest things I saw there was they had golf carts with the fucking owl on the side. Like I want one of those golf carts so bad. It would be fucking amazing to have one of those. But uh, that so that's where Alex Jones pops out and then all of a sudden he just walks through the gate and that's it by himself mind you not oh no wait what did he go with another guy I think he might have been snuck in with someone else so there's just him and another guy an ex Infowars employee he's rotated through dozens of Infowars employees but this time um but yeah that he so he gets in and he films the cremation of care ceremony on a very poor quality uh, sort of VHS camcorder now I will say to his credit that was the very first and only footage the world has ever seen of cremation of care, which is, you know, on paper sounds like a, a cult ritual, you know, by the elites or whatever. What it really is is just kind of like a a play. A, a, it's been a tradition at Bohemian Grove for like almost a hundred years or more, where they where they put on this dumb play, where it's like a it's a it's basically someone sacrificing uh their care in the form of a human effigy now it's I mean it's it's a ridiculous thing to do that there are like elites watching this play but that's basically what it is it's not satanic it's not even really a cult it's more just like drama class kind of bullshit um and Alex Jones managed to sneak this tape out He claims, and John Ronson has actually backed this up. Now, I don't know if this is true, that when he tried to send the tapes to England, to the BBC or whatever, they kept getting erased. That's one of the only things, of paranoid things that Alex Jones has said about this that John Ronson has said is actually true. I don't know if that's believable or not. Um, John Ronson himself, I think, needs to be questioned. In fact, I think, like, I I actually have a lot of questions for him. Uh, But the point I'm trying to make is that Alex Jones um later admitted abby and you watch it on the andrew schultz podcast who's a new york comedian i think long island comedian he's got a really successful youtube show now alex jones goes on his show and they bring up bohemian grove they're not really that knowledgeable about alex jones so they bring up one of his hits right bohemian grove and he's like you know actually uh i i gotta i gotta i gotta tell you a story about this they they basically set it all up and let me let me sneak in the, the people who run the Grove, they basically set, set it all up and uh, they want him to miss in. It's basically all set up. And so he, he admits this 20 years later after the fact, something that on a gut level I knew all along. Because, again, if you want to poison pill something, almost like a troll, what do you do? You let it be exposed to someone who's either insane or who will toxify something else by association. And I, I frankly, I almost feel like it could have just been done as a prank. It's like someone in the Grove could have almost been like, wouldn't it be funny if we let that, that crazy Texas guy on the radio sneak in here and film Cremation of Care and act like he just witnessed the burning of a, ch- li- a child? Like. Because that's basically how Alex Jones presented it.
2: Yeah, and and that's the pervasive narrative about cremation of care ever since from people like Mark Dice. I even see child like, murder. I mean, tons of people still run with that. That dude, Mark Dice. Yeah,
4: Mark Dice has in his book a, a fake quote from like Hunter S. Thompson saying that Hunter <laughs> S. Thompson was hired to film a child sacrifice at Bohemian Grove, like a live satanic <laughs> mur- ritualistic murder and then Hunter Thompson had all this like deep regret about it. It's like, dude, what the fuck? You fucking psych- <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to talk about the incel piece of shit, but like it is it is super weird how it, yeah, Alex Jones didn't just say, "Hey guys, I witnessed this crazy play, you know, I saw the stone owl, all those rumors are true." He actually fed into the paradigm that like they really were killing a kid. So, after he filmed this, I mean, Grove, like he would actually say things like he couldn't see very well, you know, from the thing, if it was like a real kid or not, it could have been. It's like, dude, what? Like, really? So it's kind of perfect in a way that the Grove, if the Grove wanted to make a mockery, because the Grove traditionally, or the Bohemian Club, they have like poems about how many prostitutes they have sex with and how many cigars they smoke and how drunk they get. It's always been kind of a debaucherous, kind of jokey, satirical organization. The cremation of care ceremony in itself is satirical, so it kind of is perfect in a way for to have let Alex Jones sneak in. It's what where better satire can you do than that to actually have a mark? Total
2: satanic panic exactly.
4: joke, hundred percent, and that's what they did. I don't know who in the Grove did it, but Alex Jones continued to get like exclusive leaks from the Grove. Even and this is a really strange. Example. And I was going to put, I was going to make a documentary about him years ago that I kind of gave up on, but I was going to put a scene in it where he did a second documentary film called The Order of Death, Abby, uh, about Bohemian Grove that barely anyone has ever seen. Nobody ever talks about this movie. And what's interesting about it is it's actually less critical about the Grove itself and more critical of the woman and the group of protesters who like are the main protesters against the Grove. Calling them Satanists, calling them black magic practitioners, calling them disinformation. And I don't know what to make I don't know why he decided to make a movie basically like getting one over on the main woman who was organizing the protests against Wahime and Groh, but that's what he fucking did. And oddly in this movie, he has a leaker that's giving him exclusive footage to the inside of the Stone Owl, showing the, you know, that you can open a door in the back and go inside. It's like a room. It's like a shed, basically. Um, showing every building in Bohemian Grove, showing the area where they did the Manhattan Project. Incredible footage, actually. Some of the most incredible, I would argue the most incredible footage ever taken from the Grove. Um, probably the most we've ever seen of it. All just handed to Alex Jones on a silver platter. And the weirdest scene of all in this movie, Abby, the only scene where it shows about 200 old men wearing polo shirts walking by (laughs) By the the camera who all look very rich and are probably elites. It's the only scene in the movie that like Alex Jones, like blurs a little bit and speeds the footage up so much that you can't see anybody's faces. And it's like, wait a second of all the footage you showed in this movie, you decided to literally obscure any of the people that you could have like identified for us. Like you made a documentary film. Wouldn't that be the point in the movie or like freeze frame, this is so-and-so CEO of something. Freeze frame, this is the guy from this company. Freeze frame, no, he literally speeds up the footage and like narrates over it talking about something else, acting as if he's not even showing you. It's just, Anyways, what I'm saying, it's a very strange film. And
0: yeah. I, don't I don't know why, why he decided, decided to do it, it but yeah, it's, it's basically an anti-Bohemian Grove
4: protester film for the most part, where he says... Almost it's like, like the, the real Satanists are these hippies, these wow. fucking hippies who wow. hang out in Monte Rio and protest the
2: Grove. Oh my, I mean, there's so many things that he's done that I have forgotten about it, been completely memory hold because of how weird reality has really unfolded today. Yeah. But like, oh, that's I can help refresh I completely forgot that he did that. And <laughs> also, like, he he really did popularize two things. I mean, the whole harp. Weather weapon, you know, kind of climate denialism, like becoming really key to counter, you know, like le- like left climate change awareness. Like he, I still hear tons of people talking about chemtrails, harp, and like weather modification programs to kind of basically just say like climate change isn't real, you know. And that definitely, definitely was popularized by him. And then Robbie, I mean the fact that he never really incorporated Israel into any of this, like you would think that that would just be a no brainer um, to really kind of lambaste Israel, you know, especially adjacent to the war on terror, like Israeli officials being on TV the morning of nine eleven, like all of those weird things. And just like, of course, the close relationship with the U S empire and the usefulness and utility of Israel. And it's like, just so strange that Alex Jones, kind of shied away from that. Um and then, you know, I'll never forget. I I was already at Breaking the Set when the Sandy Hook I don't even know if it was no Sandy Hook happened before then. Because I remember like Sophia Smallstorm, 9-11 Mysteries, that 9-11 documentary that was just about the buildings. And then the next thing that she did, Robbie, was deconstructing the whole Sandy Hook narrative about how it was completely staged. And that's when I was like, this is getting really strange now. Like all of the Alex Jones people, Alex Jones is leading all these people down such a strange path where all of a sudden mass shootings were all fake. Sandy Hook was staged. This was this was the new agenda to take everyone's guns and usher in a totalitarian police state. And it was all centered around the Sandy Hook thing. And I was just like, I, I remember I watched like the entire three, because because what was so sad about it is like a ton of people that were just peripherally around me in the 9 truth movement and the anti-war movement like latched onto this. And it was like these mass shootings are really strange. Like even like this really smart guy that I was working with at the network at the time, I was just like, what on earth is going on? And so I really did. I threw myself into looking at the geoengineering stuff, the chemtrail stuff, and the Sandy Hook narrative about it being fake. Because I was like, "I I want to understand where these people are coming from. And I just watched all this shit and I was like, I could not take one piece from any of that stuff and find it interesting or convincing at all. And it was just like this huge split from like reality that I was just like, I just saw all these people marching off a cliff. And I was like, I do not understand how this is happening.
4: Well, I think that that was also my big, not that I was like a huge devotee of Alex Jones before that, but I remember at that point thinking, this does not make any sense at all to get so into this particular mass shooting and assume, you know, be so committed to thinking this is a false flag. It didn't make any sense to me. At the time, I remember being rather obvious That because this was so psychologically traumatizing and shocking for people, it did sort of create an illustration of that version of like conspiracy mind thinking that I saw play out where it was like, if something is too hard to process, there has to be something else going on. Like there has to be something behind it or a conspiracy. And that to me, this seemed like one of the most obvious examples. And it was also you know, it seemed kind of almost offensive. It's like a lot of these people in the Patriot-Alex Jones movement were armed, very pro-Second Amendment people. And it's like, they just simply could not accept the fact that someone would do this. And I do think that that was what helped motivate and grease the skids a lot about it. And it never made any sense to me why that got so much attention, why it became a hill that everybody decided to die on. I mean, that's why I do think there is sort of a targeting or a narrowing in on Alex Jones, even though he was the biggest person talking about it to make it seem like he created this or that he is responsible for, you know, creating the whole Sandy hook false flag thing. But I remember at the time, it just seemed like it was spreading like wildfire everywhere online. And I remember thinking it was frankly really suspicious because it it was sort of an extension of nine 11 truth here comes another big event that almost took all the focus away from everything before. It's like, this is the new false flag and it just sucked everything up. And it was, it just never made sense to me. And it was, it was so pervasive online. It was everywhere. And you would get, and people would like really get really defensive about saying that it was a false flag. And if you didn't agree, they would get like really mad and bent out of shape. And it's like, it it started i think it was probably the breaking point for me when i realized damn like this is a really unhealthy like cult like mentality because now i can almost see from the other side what it was like to have a really aggressive like 911 truther confront you like if you say if you were just a random person and you got confronted by like an alex jones sort of groomed truther i understand now what it feels like to have to be aggressively approached by someone like that and not be able to even have a rational or cordial conversation with them. It's like, they're so filled with anger and rage and like almost just like this indoctrination that you can't, you just can't talk to them. And I remember thinking, geez, that's a huge turnoff. So like, it kind of made me realize in retrospect, like how much damage that mentality did for 9-11 Truth and how much it set people back. And, but in addition to it, it's like, this is just a school shooting. Like it's not like 9/11 where it's like a lot of lefties have this blowback theory now where it's like, well, this was bound to happen with how many people we attack in the world. I don't I don't buy that at all. I think 9/11 is extremely highly suspicious and I don't buy that connection at all that it's oh, of course we were going to experience blowback. Total, I, it's total BS to me personally. With Sandy Hook, it's it perfectly goes in line with everything that's happening in society. There's school. There are shootings, mass shootings escalating, more younger people doing mass shootings. It's inevitably going to happen at a school. It's inevitably going to happen at the most sensitive potential place you can imagine. And it did. So that seems to me like a very natural evolution. So it's, in, it's very interesting to me that people just, that was a breaking point for people where it's like they didn't question mass shootings before that and all of a sudden this is the one. There's got to be something to this. Um, and yeah, I think it just, it was very clear to me how toxic that was. And it's very funny, actually, I'll just mention really quickly that Paul Joseph Watson in this recent trial, some of his texts to Alex Jones got read in court. And Paul Joseph Watson was one of these guys from the very beginning who was trying to dissuade Alex Jones even from talking about Sandy Hook. And he literally sent Alex Jones a text message saying, Infowars has a story online right now that says that bodies in the hospital dying of COVID are mannequins. This makes us look like idiots. This is Sandy Hook all over again. That's what Paul Joseph Watson, his like main ally for all this time, said to him in a private text. So it is odd that Alex Jones keeps shooting himself in the foot over and over and over again when he has people like Paul Watson, who at least know where to draw the line and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like why? You're posting a story about how people in the dying are mannequins? Like, are
3: you fucking crazy? Like, this makes me look bad too. So the the Sandy Hook stuff like like you mentioned the, the way that it caught like wildfire Robbie and became like the thing and developed an audience of like complete diehard Sandy Hook hoax people. Um of course there's a lot of people responsible for that. In the like web of you know making profit off of spreading the the conspiracy Jones is at the very top of it He's like the primary person responsible for number one having the biggest platform that was putting out this narrative um, But also any other like fringe lunatic person who was and so-called sandy hook researcher like expert he would give them a platform and the only way that this caught on, the only way you had people who were thinking that there is just really undeniable, suspicious things about Sandy Hook, the only reason you had this is because it was based on things that were just completely made up. And through the course of the Sandy Hook defamation trial, this, this one in Austin, of course, there's others. He's lost defamation trials against 10 different um, people who have sued him for defamation, been found guilty of defamation. Uh, all of the things that he was saying were things that were like the mannequins, the COVID thing. Like he knows that these things are not true, Uh, yet he presents them as if and maliciously presents these things as if they are fact. And then an audience that he has cultivated of people that trust that he would never lie to them. uh, Go ahead and believe it. Um, You know, one of the I can get into some examples of stuff that he said. Uh, that was just shows how he just was maliciously spread, knowing it was bullshit and just maliciously doing it. And the the most fucked up thing is it it's not, it's different than saying there's uh, 5,000 dead soldiers being hidden in a frozen laboratory at Bagram Air Base. It's different than saying there are all these COVID victims who are mannequins who aren't really dead people. The, with Sandy Hook, there were 20 families of children. 20 children were murdered as young as six years old. 20 families dealing with that just, like, heartbreaking loss. And then you had Jones not only out there saying that they are actors, their children were not real, all this stuff, but mobilized a massive network of fucking lunatic people to harass them, to stalk them, uh, to dox them, all kinds of shit. And, and knowing that was happening, and then the parents pleading with him, please stop doing this, he would then target the parents that were saying to him, please stop, like you're not letting us heal from this. So it, it, it's so, it, I mean, honestly, like... Uh, I think that the trial, to me, it just like, it proves beyond everything that Alex Jones is just a true piece of shit, ultra rich person who just is just lying to make a ton of money. Like, I really hope that he gets bankrupted into oblivion and his companies are picked apart by lawyers like vultures on roadkill. Like, fuck him. There are two people I want to talk about who Alex Jones based much of his Sandy Hook stories on two of his big sources the first is a guy named Wolfgang Halbig he was a regular guest on InfoWars. InfoWars also gave him a camera crew to go harass people in Newton Connecticut the site of the Sandy Hook shooting to do things like crash town hall meetings to confront local officials about the whole thing being a hoax and all the kids being still alive that was Wolfgang Halbig's big thing is that all the none of the kids died He also used that InfoWars film crew to film children leaving a different school, which pretty sure you're not allowed to do because his theory was the kids who he said supposedly died at Sandy Hook were actually alive and going to this other Catholic school nearby. And so he tried to prove that by like filming the kids' faces as they were leaving the school, you know, little six-year-old kids. One of the families he focused on in particular was that of six-year-old Aviel Richman, who was murdered at Sandy Hook. He was focusing on that, family in particular, promoting that he could prove that she was still alive. After being subjected to this harassment, uh, doxing and all of that, that no doubt added to the pain that the family was going through. The father of Aviel Richman actually commit suicide. And even after his suicide, that family still remained a target of Wolfgang Halbig and uh, hosted on InfoWars to talk about it. He doxed all of the families. He was the main one who was responsible for releasing all the personal information of all of the the families of the children murdered at Sandy Hook. So addresses, social security numbers, place of work, and he would regularly send these things out on his email list. And Obviously, how did his email list grow from being hosted on Alex Jones' show, which had millions of viewers? People would get in touch with Wolfgang Halbig, he'd add them to their email list, and then he would send regular updates with all the personal information of all the Sandy Hook families. Even when they moved, when they moved to escape the harassment, he would then immediately dox them again. And send this out to his ever-growing email list. Alex Jones also helped him raise at least a hundred thousand dollars to fund his like records requests with the with the city to prove that the kids were all still alive. Um, and it was even after all this stuff happened, even after Alex Jones knew that Wolfgang Halbig was doxing the families and sending out to his uh, list of InfoWars listeners the addresses and social security numbers, et cetera, of the the families of the Sandy Hook kids, he still was a guest on InfoWars and still was given that platform and still was uh, a source. In fact, Jones admitted that Halberd was, quote, a considerable source of information for his Sandy Hook stories. Now, Wolfgang Habby was actually arrested in 2020, for these activities, you're not allowed to uh, possess, let alone distribute all this personal information like Social Security ad numbers and all that stuff. And he's actually facing a year in prison for doing this. So one of his main sources on Sandy Hook that he would quote articles from and research from all the time was that Jim Fetzer, who wrote this book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. And I had an interaction with Jim Fetzer because before the Sandy Hook book, he wrote a book about how the Boston bombing was fake, uh, and that everyone was actors in the Boston bombing. And that the reason,
2: Carlos Andrado.
3: yeah, so the reason I had an interaction with Jim Fetzer is he emailed uh, Empire Files a long time ago, like in 2016 or something, 2015 and said, Hey, I just wrote this book on Sandy Hook. Uh, you know, you should have me on to talk about it. And so in his book on the Boston bombing, and uh, I know this because I was friends with one of the people that he claimed was an actor. So in the iconic photo from the Boston Marathon bombing of a guy that had his uh, legs blown off and there's this guy in a cowboy hat carrying him to safety and literally like holding one of, one of his arteries is like sticking out of the stump of his leg. And Carlos Arandando, this guy in the cowboy hat, is like holding the artery shut like pinching it shut with his fingers and save this guy's life and, and all that stuff. Carlos Arandando was a very prominent anti-war activist because his son was uh, in the Marines and killed in Iraq. in the, in like 2004 when his son was, when the Marines came to his house to notify him that his son has been killed. He fucking took a bunch of things of gasoline, went to the Marines van put himself in the van and dumped all the gasoline and set it on fire and blew it up and tried to kill himself inside the Marine Corps van with all fire and there's a film made about him called Man on Fire but then after that and after he got out of the hospital after a long time skin grafts and everything he traveled around the country with a fucking coffin with a flag draped on it and just dragged it around town at every like local government all around and just traveled the country with like a picture of his son and the coffin with a flag draped on it and so that very first anti-war event I ever spoke And my life in 2006 was just me and Carlos Arendondo and his wife about, and they were speaking about their son, and I was talking about my experience. And so I, I became friends with him, and I've known him since then. And he's an incredible person and an important figure in like history. And so anyways, Jim Fetzer in his book says, Carlos Arandando is actually an actor. He has an IMDB page. He's been in all these movies and everything was like oh, yeah. completely fake and has a totally different backstory. So anyways, when Jim Fetzer wrote to us and said, you should have me on your show, I just wrote back and said, hey, I, I don't know why we would have you on because you're obviously bullshitting. I know Carlos Arandando and everything that you were saying about him is completely fake. And Jim Fetzer wrote me back so many emails that were so long, so insane, like caps lock, comic sans, red font going so nuts because I believed that Carlos arendando was not an actor. I was just like, oh, this guy's this guy's like uh, completely off the rails. So anyways, That's in the true. trial, um, you know, they were bringing up that Jim Fetzer was constantly sourced for all of the stories that Alex Jones is putting out about Sandy Hook. And then the the internal communication within InfoWars, they knew that Jim Fetzer was, was actually mentally disabled. Like he's not just like a off the walls, like Alex Jones type guy. Like Jim Fetzer is, he had a mental break and he is now a mentally disabled person. And they all knew that at InfoWars because of the crazy emails that he was sending them. So that is why they only use Jim Fetzer's st- headlines and stories and so-called research, but never had Jim Fetzer on InfoWars because they knew he was totally nuts. And that was, you know, you mentioned the Paul Joseph Watson communication, Robbie. That was the other Paul Joseph Watson communication that they brought up was him writing Alex Jones being like why are you having Jim Fetzer on this guy's making us look nuts because this guy is a mentally disabled person yet they used J- Jim Fetzer's research to whip up all these people into harassing and stalking the families of the Sandy Hook victims but you had some contact but, with him too right Robbie
4: Well Abby and I kind of did by proxy where we had a guest on Media Roots it's one of the only episodes we actually threw in the can we threw in the trash We literally stopped it halfway through because it's because what the guy was saying was so unbelievable and also like getting into very obvious anti Semitic dog whistling territory that we literally like we shut down the interview. And immediately when we ended it, the guy started messaging us on Skype saying like Abby and Robbie are assholes or something like he was like talking shit about us to us on Skype. And we were like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And we realized. He thought he was talking to Jim Fetzer what? and it was blew our mind. We were like, wait a second. This guy accidentally DM'd us thinking he was talking to Jim Fetzer <laughs> because we brought up Jim Fetzer and said like, oh, don't you work with Jim Fetzer? Isn't he the guy that did the space beam thing with 9-11? Because if people don't know who Jim Fetzer is, he took a primary role in the 9-11 truth movement with Alex Jones when Alex Jones was still willing to be seen in public with him saying that the World trade centers were destroyed by some type of DEW, directed energy weapon, a.k.a. like a space beam, like laser weapon from space. This is what Jim Fetzer brought into the 9-11 truth movement. He also brought in the idea that there were no planes on 9-11, meaning that the planes we see on TV were CGI in the year 2000 perfect cgi (laughs) better than any hollywood film that you've ever seen that was his theory and that's what he brought into the 9-11 truth movement and alex jones um got enough backlash at the time from his own audience from being associated with jim fetzer that that's the i think it was sometime around 2007 that he distanced himself in terms of having him on as a guest on his show But you're right, Mike. He continued to pump Jim Fetzer's material. And I was going to mention earlier that I think Jim Fetzer was actually a bigger influencer in the sense that he, that most, a lot of the stuff came from him. And Alex Jones would amplify it like a million times, you know, the strength that Fetzer had. But like the core of a lot of the writings, the ideas were coming from this kooky guy who had already been ostracized from within the 9 11 truth movement. And before that, he had been ostracized from the JFK truth movement in the 1980s by saying that the Zapruder film had animation inserts in it, that it was TV fakery. Basically, before CGI, Jim Fetzer was saying that someone had hand animated. Like, <laughs> and he also wrote a paper saying that the spreading of like disinformation within like the conspiracy and truth movement is a good thing. And here's why it is. So he's like a self-proclaimed disinformation artist. And unlike Alex Jones, Jim Fetzer went the extra mile and actually like went to like the fucking town that Sandy Hook was in and like harassed their city council and like put stuff into testimony at live city council meetings about how all the kids are fake and stuff. I mean, there's videos of him doing this from like 10 years ago. It's quite disturbing. But um, yeah, it's really strange um, that... Alex Jones would continue to spread Jim Fetzer's information, especially after someone like Paul Joseph Watson thinks he's too insane to be associated with. Especially after a ton of people, you know, turned against Infowars temporarily and said, "Hey, this guy's like too crazy for us." So it's I think it's yeah. And not to, to mention
3: the actual families of the dead kids being like, "Please stop." doing this and for him to just absolutely not give a fuck and just be like fuck you guys and actually sued some of the parents and then targeted the parents oh james fetzer yeah no no not james fetzer alex jones
2: he sued some of the parents
4: yeah oh i didn't i totally didn't know that i mean it's i think it just what i'm saying is it speaks to alex Jones's. um it speaks to a level of he does not give a shit he is not morally principled. He doesn't have any core values. It's almost like he already knew that Jim Fetzer was a toxic association who was helping poison the well of 9-11 truth, but then he just uses him as the source for all the Sandy Hook stuff. It almost makes no sense. Unless Alex Owned is just a completely a complete grifter. I mean it's it's kind of wild to think that he didn't even learn his lesson. And here Paul Joseph Watson seems to have, you know, some
2: savviness. It's like, dude, why? Why? The key right here is that I do believe that Alex Jones believed most of the stuff that he talked about. I, I, really? You know, tens of millions of people think that 9 11 was an inside job. Why not Alex Jones? Like a ton of people believe yeah. that OKC was questionable. Why not? It's like I do believe that he was honest in those events, but I think that it became a runaway train where he was profiting so much. And folding in people like James Fetzer became so popular, hooking the most fringe elements of the conspiracy movement and giving them solace and elevating these voices that he saw was generating such an enormous income that there was no turning back for him, even if he disagreed with, oh, this is this guy's nuts. Clearly, based on the trial, we knew from internal documents that he he wanted to not promote him at the time but he still wanted to source the material but he knew how it's, fucking crazy he seemed on camera so it's that that kind of thing that proves that alex jones is a soulless huckster at the time god knows how much money he was making with all the supplements and all the survival oh we kits. know now no, no 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 now but this you're talking about at post platforming right
3: oh yeah no, yeah. no, I'm
2: talking about like this was like 2012, 2013, right. like when Sandy Hook like caught like fire. But what was so interesting about this era is that he really shifted the whole conspiracy movement and the momentum behind actual deep state critiques that were bipartisan and stuff. He shifted it over to this kind of hysterical right wing partisan mentality that became they're all going to take the guns The mass shootings are all fake. It became it totally pivoted to just mass shootings. Remember him on Piers Morgan, 2013. Mm -hmm. Hitler took the guns. Castro took the guns. Oddly enough, this was like he was getting like mainstream platforms. Like people, a lot of people were like parading him around to like debate him and entertain him, which was really strange. And and that's why like this is this is really disturbing too. Is like. When Trump started to generate a lot of publicity, and of course started to run for president, and was hugely platformed by Alex Jones, and they had this reciprocal relationship that was that was elevating each other, and like just completely, you know, Trump was just like you're one of the most important people in the country. Bannon was showering showering him with praise, being like you guys are kingmakers. Like they they definitely understood the role and value of Alex Jones for Trump, and vice versa. But um, what was interesting is like. Tr- that's now painted in Alex's war and by Alex Jones himself is like he was only discredited in the Sandy Hook thing because he liked Trump. He was punished by the the liberal establishment and the mainstream elites because of Trump as this deep state anti Even deep it state hero. Way before, Trump. yeah, that's what's so interesting about years, it. It's like he's years. repainted this whole narrative to be like, no, 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 no. like. No one cared until I attached myself to Trump, because that's how much Trump is like a threat. Oh, you mean he lied? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I'll
3: say again, it's one thing to like not give a fuck when you're talking about COVID victims are actually mannequins. Like, yeah, that's harmful, or whatever. But it's a whole other level to not give a fuck when you're talking about defaming and inciting mobs of people to harass and stalk the parents. Of children who were shot in the fucking face by a a mass shooter and to cause them indescribable pain and trauma and and not allow them to heal from the trauma that they had been through and and we're not just talking about like the harassment not being able to heal one of the the, uh, Mothers one of the the set of parents they have had to move seven different times because they are, have people harass them at their house. Every time they get moved, they get doxed again by Alex Jones people uh, and then have to move for their safety. They have had to move so far from their original address that they can no longer visit the grave of their son, their six-year-old son who was killed at Sandy Hook. They cannot visit his grave because they have had to move hundreds of miles away for their own safety. The the father in the, in the trial that just happened in Austin, his house has been shot at. His car has been shot at in drive-by shootings by someone yelling Alex Jones' name out the window while he's shooting at the fucking house. And Alex Jones has known this and has not stopped and in fact continued to target the people who brought this out. And then again, and then it's another thing. It's not just Alex Jones saying, oh, there's this interesting story from Jim Fetzer. Let's look at it. Or "Or there's this interesting story saying that the FBI said nobody died. Let's look at it. It's not just Alex Jones pulling sources from other fucking liars and saying, oh, well, you know, you got to entertain any, you know, if someone's saying this, we got we can't be afraid to look at it. You know, that's one of the defenses he intentionally maliciously would edit videos himself, him being the, it's like, it's not just taking like, oh, well this is an interesting story. Let's look at it. So one of the things he did was one of the mothers whose little girl was killed at Sandy Hook said on CNN, she said, I wanted to see the body of my child, but I couldn't because I wanted to remember her as she was alive. And I didn't want to have the memory, the trauma of seeing her, body destroyed by a fucking ar-15 her head destroyed by an ar-15 alex jones took that clip and cut it did a hard cut right after she said i wanted to see the body of my child but couldn't hard cut and then says see this is proof the parents were not allowed to see the bodies because they were not dead the kids were not dead he knew he knows that that is bullshit he knows that And he knows that it's going to invite harassment against that woman and against that family and and to disparage the life of of that woman's daughter to say she never died. She was never real or she was an actor. Um, That's the kind of shit that he did. Another thing that he did was one of the things they did with the Sandy Hook parents is they didn't actually have people come in and ID the bodies because why the fuck do you need to do that? It's horrific. So they had a photographer not take pictures of the kids fucking faces with half their head blown off. But they took pictures of like,
2: ah, it's super, super sad, hold on. Oof. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they
3: took pictures of like little details, like their shoes or like things that they saw them leave for school in so they could identify the body. Like, yes, those are my kids' shoes. So he, Alex Jones took that To say, oh, look, they hired this Hollywood photographer to take these fake photos to make these parents think that their kids were dead or whatever. But it proves that it was bullshit because they wouldn't let them see the bodies like this is just straight up intentional misinformation with the massive consequence of having these people's lives uh, completely destroyed. I mean, these parents talked about I mean, anyone, anyone who's giving Alex Jones any kind of fucking props for during this trial be like oh he's just a truth teller and they're trying to shut him down or they're trying to shut down like watch the watch the testimonies of the fucking parents i mean it's just it's insane and these parents all tried to appeal to him like in good faith i mean when this started happening they tried to reach out to him like as a father and say like please stop doing this like we're trying to mourn our kids and he would just be like fuck you and then say this guy you got to look into this guy because one of the dads um Uh, tried to like, then after he begged with Alex Jones and he wouldn't uh, help him, he started getting Alex Jones videos taken down from YouTube that like called his son a fucking child actor. Uh, And so Alex Jones started targeting him by name and just being like, look into this guy, this guy's uh, out to get us and all this stuff. And so just invited so much horrific harassment. I mean... It's like terror,
2: terrorizing these families
3: ter- and just re-traumatizing absolutely.
2: them to infinity. And
3: because he was making so much fucking money off it. And I think one of the things that big things about this trial is it is an unprecedented defamation trial because most defamation trials are someone says something defamatory, publishes it, says it on the news, whatever, and then there is that statement and it causes damages and they get sued for that statement. This is fucking 10 years of continuous lying and misinformation and harassment against these families that are, in Alex's life, he's doing great. He's making boatloads of money every single day doing it. At the same time, these families are having their houses shot at, having to move over and over again, can't get over the death of their child. Um, And even to speak to how serious this is, at the fucking trial, the parents going into the courtroom were confronted and harassed by Alex Jones fanatics who were like trying to attack them going into court where they had to actually go into isolation during the trial and have all this extra security and all this stuff because they were scared of getting killed just going to court. So the, and, and, and actually one of the uh, people, there's a woman who's actually went to prison because she was sending death threats to one of the families in one of these lawsuits. And one of the terms of her prison sentence was, cuz you can like use a computer when you're in jail. One of the terms of her sentence was she was not allowed to access infowars.com because it was seen as the instigator for what she was doing to where she was cut off from actually using it. She could go to other websites but she couldn't go uh to infowars. So it's just it's so it's so disgusting. I mean, like I said, it's one thing to to talk a bunch of bullshit and put out a bunch of bullshit about this or that, Satan is doing this, whatever. Uh, pedophilia by hillary clinton whatever fucking who cares this is like unforgivable uh what he has done to these families and he deserves to pay he deserves to pay for it you can't do this shit without paying a price it was a crime he's lost all the suits he's been found guilty of defamation and you should be punished when you commit a crime that has upended these these people's lives
4: yeah i I, I I guess I tend to get, go into this zone with the outcome of this and thinking that there's sort of two mainstream opinions about this that I see echoed. One of them is more from like kind of more boomery liberal types where it's like, good, you know, he should, he should pay, he should be bankrupted. And there's sort of this extra mentality of like, you know, disinformation is dangerous and we need to stop the flow of disinformation online and in general. And, you know, obviously we've talked about this on media Roots for a long time of how much of a slippery slope that is for just our understanding of like the first amendment in this country, even though there's, you know, private entities could do whatever they want it still creating this trend where it's now become acceptable to shield us from all these things. I mean, I just was told the other day that you can't even make a video on YouTube anymore about 9-11 at all, which is kind of strange. I didn't even realize the rules had gotten that clamped down, where if you make a video about 9-11 that is completely innocuous and just echoing the official story, you can't. it, it won't be able to be posted at this point. That's crazy to me. Um, so having said that, it is really interesting how the other side of it, a lot of people who didn't weren't listening to Alex Jones as far back as we were and didn't learn from his lies, pathological lying and grifting that was just out in the open early on, take this mentality now that I sort of first had at the very beginning, which is like, well, he's right 70% of the time. And why is he such a threat? Why are they going after him this hard? Like he must be doing something that's threatening to the establishment because this seems like, you know, they're really coming down on him. And in a way, this almost makes me think, that what he's saying is really dangerous and that they're trying to, like, suppress him. There is a sort of this, you know, kind of like the Trumpian mentality, like in the same way that Trump was being targeted by the deep state. People see this similarly. Now, what's really interesting is that those people think that, you know, kind of in a similar way to I do, think that this whole spectacle is creating an overall threat to free speech. Now, Now, I don't agree with why they think that, but that the reason... Uh, that I think that's so fascinating is because Alex Jones has been amplified and has been sort of this amplifying force that has toxified and poison-pilled a lot of alt-media stuff by association this entire time. 9-11 truth, anti-police state stuff, all that stuff he's tainted by association. And this is interesting. Now what's happening is because now he's tainting the very idea of free speech. It's almost like he was there to poison pill all media and now he's like poison pilling the concept of free speech in general. Like this might be one of the, like you said, Mike, this might be one of the craziest or more impactful defamation lawsuits in history. And I don't think that that can be understated. And the fact that it's Alex Jones who's ushering in this debate on what's, what should be allowed to say, uh, et cetera, it to me is very fascinating and I it, it almost just seems too progressive perfect like like if this was all set up let's just get really tinfoil hat for a second if Alex Jones was like a controlled opposition person this entire time it's kind of almost too perfect that he's now the face of like poison pilling like this idea of free speech as well it's it's it it's unsettling to me and I'm not saying oh Alex Jones is you know should have the you know should be able to say these things it's more like the whole debate it's creating and the mentality that we're already in since Russiagate, it's it's really kind of a perfect flashpoint, again, to just further that divide between people who think that we need to stop disinformation and people who are more free speech absolutist. Um, and, of course, if it's disgusting that that would be happening around something so horrendous like Alex Jones grifting off of Sandy Hook for like 10 years straight, even after he knew better. I mean, like you said, Mike he was repeatedly told even by his own staff to stop doing this. The fact that he kept doing it for so long and then even would double down on it later on. And then he would continue to lie. And then I guess one of the more egregious parts for me, uh, it's not even the fact that he hurt these parents so bad. It's that he was such a pathological liar after the fact that even on his own show, he would lie to his own audience in such an obvious way about like, things that he did and did not do in regards to Sandy Hook. Like he would basically gaslight his own audience and be like, oh yeah, I never, I never thought it was like, uh, you know, I never was convinced it was a false flag. I just had questions. You know, I would ask questions. It's like, no, you fucking didn't dude. You're a lot. You're literally lying. Like two years ago, you're, you were saying all these things. So so he would massage his own narrative and gaslight his own audience. Like only two years after the fact. And he continued to do that. Actually, you brought up the, you brought up Pizzagate, Mike. He, this was actually a much quicker micro version of Sandy Hook. I don't know if you guys remember this, but of course, Alex Jones was also one of the biggest amplifying forces for Pizzagate at the beginning. Roger Stone was a regular guest on Infowars during the Trump campaign. And then all of a sudden it seemed like he got sued or legally threatened by James Aliphantus, the guy who owned Comet Pizza. And Alex Jones had to do, like, damage control on his own show and say, like, I never believed in Pizzagate and I was just asking questions, Uh, leave these people alone. And he did that with Pizzagate, even though he was obviously pathologically lying and, and, again, gaslighting his audience into thinking he didn't say the things that he said. But that happened all very quickly, like, in the span of two months a whole about-face moment where he must have gotten legally threatened and then, like, shut everything down and then basically told his audience to shut everything down, too, in a sense. He didn't do that with Sandy Hook until way later. So I think it, by this and point— point he hasn't. I mean, yeah,
3: he's exactly. still hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. in his big apology video or, like, recently when he went on— when he did his final, like, okay— it, he even was showing. He was saying his latest video where he was chose to, supposed to bury the hatchet, where he says, "Believe me, I think it was real." On his show, he then goes on to show headlines: FBI reports no deaths at Sandy Hook, a lie; no EMS allowed in the building, a lie; police ate lunch inside the school after shooting, a lie. And so even and then he even says on his show, uh, which is supposed to be his big apology. If those kids died, my heart goes out to the families. If those oh, kids my. died, and on the in on the stand at the trial, he says maybe actually it was the FBI who killed those kids, and not the actual shooter. And so what? you saw all these headlines. Uh, the top two headlines you'll see if you go Alex Jones trial is Alex Jones apologizes to the families as fucking bullshit. He didn't do that. Alex Jones admits Sandy Hook was one hundred percent real. He didn't do that. I mean, he may have said it in one line at the trial, but then goes on to continue to share all these articles saying, actually, maybe it it isn't real. Uh, And then through the entire trial was on InfoWars saying it was all this George Soros scripted,
2: manufactured, complete fake thing. So... Well, I wanted to jump in here really quickly and just say um, there has to be something done against Alex Jones because it's not just... Him saying something, right? And it's not just criticizing the elites like we all do all the time. People who warrant criticism and action against them for like criminal behavior. This is like just a family of victims of a mass shooting. And so when you're inciting this kind of activity for a decade and making tens of millions of dollars off of it, it's like, what What does that Hundreds do? Hundreds of millions. Like what, Hundreds of millions what of action is required to stop you and i think that a defamation case is completely warranted and i think it's obvious why it's a high profile one i think that you're right in the sense that you know the whole censorship and mass banning of alex jones had the opposite intended effect i mean that that actually had the streisand effect where he actually you see that he actually made more money after that he his his views were elevated as like some sort of daring truth-telling that the establishment wanted to take down. All of it was hugely detrimental to our freedoms online and to what should be, uh, you know, the public square with all these social media companies. And so that was like a huge turning point, unfortunately. And it all went back to QAnon, Pizzagate. I mean, Pizzagate's a really interesting case study too, because it's like, it is crazy what happened to James Elefantis and Comet Pizza. Like some guy could have caused a mass shooting at Comet Pizza because of what was being propagated about Pizzagate that Alex Jones was a part of. I don't think anyone should be banned on social media from saying that kind of stuff, but it's like when you do have a ringleader inciting this grand narrative that is inspiring people to possibly kill other people about it, I don't I don't actually know what the solution is, but I don't think that the Sandy Hook incitement that Alex Jones was overseeing for so long had... is is what caused YouTube to start this mass censorship campaign. I feel like that almost goes back to like Pizzagate stuff. Uh,
4: Absolutely right. It absolutely does. And going back to what you said, I don't know if you're ready to pivot to this new documentary about him. Wait,
2: wait, wait. I want to just say one more thing is that, um, how do you think the families can get justice for this? Like how, how, without impeding free speech, what do you think would be like the right course of action for the families to actually have some sort of retribution?
4: I mean, I think what they're doing is perfectly within the realm of reasonable response to it. I think that if I was a parent and I was getting harassed and my life was being, you know, affected negatively by this, I would too, would file a civil defamation lawsuit of some kind. So I don't mean, I don't mean to come off in any way saying that I think what the parents are doing is trying to crush free speech or it's inappropriate in any way. Not at all. Um, I think that Alex Jones brought this completely upon himself, and it really is one of the only responses. My only concern is that it's sort of playing into this perfect storm of events where it's furthering this divide of people who believe in sort of free speech absolutism and people who believe we need to sort of have this babysitter mentality on the internet. Now, I think that you're right. It already kind of happened with him being purged offline pizzagate catalyzed all that i think it's just furthering that um that mentality now and with this i mean do you want to
3: talk about this new documentary well, i think there's a, yeah there's some couple other things about the trial i think yeah, that are important. yeah no yeah yeah um, talk
2: about the trial and robbie i feel like we we need to also just touch upon the fact that he became a complete sycophant like proponent of martial law and ushering in like a, a fascist type regime like under trump as that's, well, like before, because that, that's all part of his legacy that's important to take into consideration when yeah. we're talking about this rehabilitation of his image now. So, Mike, why don't you go over some highlights from the trial and then Robbie, I want you to touch on that and then I can wrap it up by talking sure. about this movie.
3: I don't really have highlights, but oh, okay. um, well, maybe there's a low lights. <laughs>
2: um, well, I mean, I just think that
3: the I think the so the unfortunate thing is that. Alex Jones could probably get away scot-free with this whole thing. So I don't think that there's, there may not even be any kind of precedent setting because InfoWars ended up getting shut down for doing this. First of all, if it gets shut down, to me, that is a good thing because it's not being shut down for talking about questioning the establishment or whatever. It's because his punitive damages for these families, for what, he has done a crime that he committed that he has been found guilty of, that he's also not going to stop doing. He's still doing it. He's still inciting the people. Now it's not just the Sandy Hook families, it's the judge, it's the lawyers, uh, it's everyone is now becoming the targets that he is inciting against these people. Um, you know, that's not, it, I think it's part of Alex Jones' trick here to try to draw some kind of connection between free speech and the right to spit complete made up bullshit that you know is made up bullshit that causes mobs of people. To harass and stalk and dock and try to kill uh, innocent people, people who are mourning and also just people who are just random uh, innocent people. That's not free speech. And this idea to try to make it about free speech, which Alex Jones tried to do throughout the entire trial, that's just like uh, an affront to actually what First Amendment rights are but he's not going to the only way these families are going to get any peace is if infowars gets fucking stripped apart financially and he isn't able to be on the air anymore because he's still doing this shit and he's going to do it to more people in the next mass shooting and whatever and so that's really the only way that this that this kind of shit uh uh, can be stopped, um, and the thing is, he's making so much money off it, and that's the disgusting thing. Is he tried? To, he's been trying to hide, and this is what I'm going to get back. Like this is why he might get off this scot free. I don't think there's going to be some precedent setting. Infowars got shut down because he spread misinformation. I don't think that's going to happen. He got ordered to pay about fifty million dollars in the Austin lawsuit. Texas has a cap. And if his lawyers are successful in enforcing this cap, which is very likely, he's going to end up paying $4 million, which is fucking nothing to Alex Jones. Connecticut, where he has this other lawsuit that he tried to fake bankruptcy to be able to send it to bankruptcy court, that just got overruled uh, this morning at the time of this recording. So it's going to go to trial. Connecticut also has a cap. So it doesn't matter if he loses a $150 million lawsuit in the Connecticut case. uh, According to the law, he could get away with just paying a couple million dollars. And, you know, Alex Jones has already moved his fucking huge amount of money around. Uh, Last year, when this trial started, he just trans he took out, he withdrew from the bank about $65 million and just sent it somewhere unknown. So even if these lawsuits succeed in huge, huge settlements, uh, I think he's going to be completely fine. He's still going to be on the air. There's going to be no real repercussions. Just like the deplatforming, his profits went up after he was deplatformed. Talk about
2: how much he made. I was shocked to learn this, Mike. So he makes, on average, so there's some days where he
3: makes $800,000 per day. And he's tried to hide all of this stuff. Uh, There's there's days where he makes $800,000 per day. Those are good days and propaganda, as he says. On average, he makes about a quarter million dollars per day of broadcasting. Um, So $70 million a year broadcasting six days a week. uh, And it's only gone up since he was deplatformed. And so this is a, A hundred million, hundreds of millions of dollars that of revenue that Infowars brings in. And he has all these other shell companies too that that also this doesn't account for. And like he's hiding his money. Like when the trial, there's this financial guy that testified at the trial that said once the trial started, he created this shell company and then Infowars would transfer $12,000 a day into the shell company as like some reserve. Like so, this guy, he's going to be fine sadly. Um, I hope that his life can be made as difficult as possible while he weathers through this but i mean unfortunately i don't think there's there's going to be uh there's going to be a real repercussion here
4: um i just wanted to comment really quickly on the amount of money he makes i mean i remember me and abby we would talk amongst ourselves being like doesn't it seem suspicious to you that all of a sudden his like budget of his studio and everything his staff and the infowar system seems to have like been overhauled like with a budget of like 100 times what it was like previously like the leap in the production budget seemed enormous like the, there wasn't like a natural transition it seemed really odd to me at least like and and i guess the first thing that came to mind is like who is propping him up like who who's rich that is propping him up there's got to be somebody now he's got to have a shadow donor or a group of people who are it's not just his own audience at this point because even though he was starting to hawk the supplements it was like before that all happened his budget just like exploded and the amount of money he's making now i mean i think it's i would say and i don't think it's conspiratorial really to suggest this at all that there have been powerful people propping him up probably this whole time, either through money, through whatever. And after the Trump era, it was like, I mean, at that point, there's definitely got to be like, if, if we could see the auditing records of who's rich, that's actually funneling money to his organization. I would be, you know, I don't think we'd be surprised oh, right. to,
3: or to him personally, it's like that 70 million a year that, is, Al- is InfoWars revenue, which is mainly sales on the InfoWars websites and sub- subscription fees and people buying supplements. That's just yeah. 70 million from that. But who knows how many people are just literally transferring money into Alex Jones' bank account as like rich sustainers.
4: I mean, people like, in a, you know, this is total speculation, like it wouldn't surprise me at all if people like Peter Thiel we're, we're you know, kicking him down some kind of
3: money. In, in well, some form. he's connected to this film that we're going to talk about, so it wouldn't be surprising at all. And yeah, so there's a just a couple more things that I uh, had in my notes here. I mean, one of them is one of the people that sued him wasn't even, it just speaks to kind of his level of just putting out fake bullshit that, that upends people's lives. One of the people that sued him for defamation wasn't anyone that had any connection to Sandy Hook at all. It was just a random young guy, 24-year-old guy, named Michael Fontaine, or Marcel Fontaine, who just had a picture on, like, Instagram of him wearing, like, a... You know that Communist Party t-shirt where it's, like, Marx and Mao, like, partying with, like, a hammer and sickle, and it's called, like, the Communist Party? It's, like, people wear it who aren't even communists. It's just, like, a joke shirt. So Alex Jones fucking promotes a picture of this guy saying, this is the real shooter at Sandy Hook. It was some (laughs) communist shooter and that was, like, working for the FBI or some shit. And so this guy gets outed as like the real shooter <laughs> and then all these millions of people think he's the real shooter so that's what, so that's just a, like kind of speaks to the level i did want to say um that the i, I think i didn't want to talk about these people without actually trying to honor the lives of uh, so like the neil heslin and scarlett lewis who just won this trial the 150 million or that 50 million million dollar lawsuit <laughs> against alex jones in texas uh their son jesse who is six uh, according to the witnesses at Sandy Hook, actually, like saved the lives of nine people because when the the shooter's gun jammed, this six year old, and this is just mind blowing to me, this six year old fucking told everyone to run and charged the shooter, and slowed the shooter down long enough for for nine other kids to escape. I mean, that's just it's just incredible. I mean, how do you? How does a six-year-old even know to do that, let alone have the courage and bravery in that horrific situation to do it? And so that's the child that Alex Jones has been defaming. And the parents, you know, they. his mother says she doesn't even turn the air conditioner on in the house because she's scared she won't be able to hear people breaking into her house if the air conditioner is on. And she has like guns and knives and pepper spray and shit everywhere preparing for being invaded by these people. It's been, you know, it's been 10 years of this. And then the father who testified at, the tr- at this recent trial, um, uh, Neil Heslin, you know, he was asked like, how often is he harassed by Alex Jones' people. And keep in mind, this is 10 years after his son's dead. And he said, you know, sometimes it's a few times a week, but there's other times where I'll go a month or two where no one will harass me. And to think that in the decade since his son's death, the longest period of peace that he's gotten is like a month at a time where probably the entire time he's just like terrified of who's going to come to my house, who's going to shoot at me again, what's the next thing that's going to happen, what's the next report that Alex Jones is going to do that's going to whip all these people up again. The last thing, I, and then throughout the whole trial too, like I said, he was, and this actually gets back to my last point on this, is did you see that video uh, of like the dunk at the trial that Alex Jones did where like the lawyer asked him about like child sex trafficking and he's like, you mean like Jeffrey Epstein? And then it's like,
2: Joe Rogan going, oh, and then, like, everyone cheering and whatever. Did you guys see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw everyone commenting on it saying how based it was. Oh, you're right. So, anyways, that
3: clip has, like, been promoted by, like, so many people be like, look, this is why they're after Alex Jones, because he's a truth teller, and he, like, dropped this bomb in the trial and, like, had this big dunk and this big own on the establishment. But when you play the actual clip that's not cut to, like, Joe Rogan cheering, it actually... It's an own on Alex Jones because he completely falls into the trap of the plaintiff's attorney because so all the shit that Jones is doing on his show through the trial, which was saying it was George Soros fun that it was scripted that he was that it was all just a show trial to shut him down for telling the truth, all this stuff they would the lawyer plaintiff's lawyer would then go to court the next day and say this is what you said on your fucking show yesterday and him showing pictures of the judge on fire he started oh, going the- saying that the judge was like a pedophile like all this stuff and so anyways that. that was- that clip of him
4: saying is it true that you played a clip of the judge is in this courtroom today on fire <laughs> on your show on Wars yesterday and he's like uh
3: i don't know i'm not sure what you you're <laughs> like, like, put the clip on the tv and yeah it's like, you and you get to see the judge's reaction when she sees it and you know
4: <laughs> me, i mean i'll just say just really quickly i think that Alex Jones is the kind of person, I've listened to him long enough, I, I know his personality enough, even though I don't know, know him in real life, to know that he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would ever actually hire a good enough lawyer who'd be able to actually assert power oh, over yeah. Like, no, dude, don't do this. That's the funniest thing I about this trial.
3: He hired every, a Twitter lawyer. Every,
4: every single employee that he hires, including his own lawyers, are bootlickers who he just abuses and like manipulates. And I don't think he's ever had anyone really above him, except for these weird people who seem to have groomed him, like Steve Pachenik and Roger Stone, who can assert any authority over him. So it makes sense that his lawyer would be such a fuck up. Like, I mean, but anyways.
3: No, it's funny. And I mean, we didn't even hit on the fact that his lawyer accidentally sent two years of text messages to the plaintiff's attorney and then didn't realize he did it. So when he could have stopped it from being admitted into evidence, he had 10 days to stop it from being admitted but just drop the ball on that, too. And so that's probably going to fuck Alex Jones in a lot of ways, which is awesome. And, Robbie, did you know one of the things that was on in the text messages of Alex Jones was that he was texting Roger Stone nudes of his wife?
4: Absolutely, 100%. And it completely lines up with what Kelly Jones actually told me in in the interview and kind of off air. I don't know how much of I, I should say, but... Um, and I don't know how much of it actually went into the interview, but she has a theory that basically as soon as Alex Jones met Charlie Sheen, um, at the very beginning of when Charlie Sheen started Ooh. talking about 9 this was like years before the crack downward spiral, that Sheen introduced him to like escorts. Oh, and that was sort man. of the precipitated the dissolution of their marriage. Now, it makes total sense that he would be sending nudes to Roger Stone, of course, as a swinger who leaked, you know, who who leaked on himself that he was at a swinger ad when he was in Bob Dole's campaign essentially swinging the election hard to Bill Clinton. Seems kind of sus that Roger Stone would do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating and one thing I wanted to mention Mike is that in the trial, the second part where the lawyers actually got together cuz the the lawyer lost his chance to like renege those leaks. So they actually did a second hearing about just that. And the lawyer, it's even worse than what you said, Mike. The lawyer knew. He he got notified immediately by the other lawyer. They replied and said, hey, this file you sent me is 300 gigs. Did you mean to send me all this stuff? And the defense lawyer said, please do not open that. That was an accident. Our legal intern, like staffer, sent that by accident. Please don't download that. The guy was already downloading it, you know, at the time. Um, now, it was really funny. This is how many people still want to buy into this idea that Alex Jones is some kind of threat to the deep state or the establishment. As I even got people who should know better listeners of our show messaging me and being going, going like, man, what do you think of this? Like text messages leaking thing. This is really suspicious, right? Did like his lawyer try to sabotage him on purpose? Like did someone try to sabotage Alex Jones on purpose? This seems really suspicious, but it all makes sense when you watch that hearing. Cause the lawyer is like clearly dumb He didn't take the proper steps. He seems out of his depth. He just didn't follow proper procedure. And the other lawyer who knew more than him and was smarter just took advantage of the situation. And he was probably, this is the craziest part. Apparently he didn't tell Alex Jones that this happened. And, you know, people would be like, oh, well, that means the lawyer is like working against Alex Jones or sabotaging him. No, Alex Jones uh, is so abusive and so intimidating that the lawyer was probably afraid to tell him like that's how much of a bootlicker this fucking lawyer was. I mean, honestly, that's what it seems like. So he, he again just brought it upon himself. He hired a shitty lawyer that didn't know basic procedure that you can actually get that stricken from the record if you do it soon enough. So he, again, he shot. He just keeps shooting himself in the foot over and over and over again. You know. So how much of this is really? could be blamed on the fact that you know he's saying controversial offensive things to a loud audience versus him just being a fucking idiot Um, and I think that a lot of it can be blamed on him just being a total fucking idiot like he could have done all that stuff about Sandy Hook and also not been a total idiot at the same time not saying that you know they're kind of mutually inclusive in the sense that you would have to be an idiot to do that but he could have done it in a more savvy way than he did he just kept doubling down on the stupidest shit and then like Lying throughout the whole process. So it's like his, the, his, that personality, that pathological liar personality of his just came in full focus during this whole situation.
3: Um, uh, Alex Jones X is, uh, going to be going back to court because one of the revelations at this trial accidentally from the text messages is, is Alex Jones had been going through great lengths to conceal how much money he had and in Infowars had. And when it came out that it was like, you know, what the actual worth was, um, Alex Jones' ex-wife immediately tweeted, that was not what he said his worth was when we got a divorce and th- which the settlement <laughs> was based on. So she's most likely going to be going back to court to get uh, the actual amount that should be getting from him. And so hopefully that adds to his financial troubles. But I wanted to get back to that so-called dunk really quick. The thing that was promoted everywhere of Alex Jones saying, oh, you're an Epstein. And then like everyone like cheering as if he like burned down the courtroom with this truth bomb. Here's the actual clip of Alex Jones falling into the trap of the attorney who is exposing the fact that during the trial, which is supposed to show that Jones has learned from his mistakes and doesn't really need to be punished because he's not going to continue to defame people, uh, is simultaneously going on the air every day and connecting the judge in the trial to child sex trafficking. Um, And so here's that the full version of the Epstein truth bomb.
4: One of the things you've been talking about a lot recently on your show, uh, even within the past couple months, is your allegation that government officials are aiding in pedophilia, child trafficking, and the grooming of children, right?
1: You mean like what Jeffrey Epstein did with the cleanse? Sure. If that's a yes, is that a yes? Uh, yes.
4: Okay. And on Thursday... <laughs> Those allegations to our judge, didn't you? No. In fact, Mr. Jones, you're telling the world not to believe what happens in this courtroom because the judge worked with Child Protective Services,
1: who you say is involved with pedophilia. And oh, God,
4: I have so. T- Correct.
1: Not all of it, but the, the Texas Youth Commission got caught up right. a, a lot of that here.
3: I'm not asking you that. Yeah, that's pretty much the clip. It's just like when I, you really yeah. play the full clip, you realize that Jones is just walking into a trap that just exposes him as just a complete bullshit artist. Uh uh-huh. So it's not some huge truth bomb about Epstein at all. No. You want
4: to, you to stop it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just have some really funny commentary to say about this because. One of the my most favorite Alex Jones pathological liar tales, and um, it's something that he's been talking about since the very beginning on his show. And this is a weird—I <laughs> don't know if this is some kind of fetish or what sec- psychosexual thing uh, caused him to say this as often as he did. But Alex Jones likes to tell like a salacious story about how he, when he was a youth in Texas in Austin, that the local sheriffs were trying to turn him into a child sex slave. Yes. And that there were like these pedophile sheriffs who were always trying to molest him and get him to recruit other children to get molested. And Alex Jones was just this like hot piece of ass when he was a kid, according to him, that was just all the sheriffs in town wanted to fuck him. I mean, that's kind of like what he makes it sound like. And it's in the amount that he has talked about that Is just utterly bizarre. I have never heard anyone who has not admitted to being actually abused or molested talk about like how, uh, that how many times they almost got molested and, and almost kind of weave it into a larger conspiracy about this child sex trafficking thing. I mean, it's kind of fascinating. It's almost like, is this a weird fantasy of his? Like, why does he talk about this so goddamn often? And it also can't be, you know, and it's not like he was some poor kid in austin texas who was getting having run-ins with the law because he was on the wrong side of town his dad was a very rich dentist there would be no reason for alex jones to be like in the grips of like the local austin sheriffs or being like harassed by them he doesn't even talk about doing anything as a kid that was like bad or you know, like juvenile delinquent kind of behavior. So it doesn't even—it just doesn't make any sense. Well, on any
3: level, that's uh, actually a good segue into talking about Alex's war because all of the stories that he repeatedly tells about his past on InfoWars, none of it, none of it, none of it is included in Alex's War. And instead, he tells a completely different backstory on Alex's War that does not get challenged in any way by the filmmaker. So someone new watching this film will just think, oh, this is Alex Jones' backstory. So the stuff about that, of course, not mentioned. In fact, in the film, he does say he was constantly in juvenile detention and in court because It was Houston and it was so rough that he would constantly be getting in fights. And he was such a good fighter and such a badass ass kicker that he was constantly putting people in the hospital, mostly um, black people. Like his story is that it's like he was uh, racist, people were racist against him, and he would just like maybe kill them and put them in the hospital. And that he was such a good fighter that he was constantly getting in trouble and going to juvenile that his dad had to move him out of town to get him out of the rough neighborhood uh, of Houston, which is very different than the the myth that he tells on Infowars, which is that not only were the cops out to molest him, but that he like uncovered a... A, like drug dealing ring by the police and that like he had to flee town cuz they like knew that he found them out and were going to like assassinate yeah. him or something and so it's just a great example of how the film takes anything Alex says that would turn a new audience off or make a new audience think this guy seems a little like not credible and like you can't believe him anything that's too out there is not in the film and is not addressed even though it's part of his whole persona that he's been saying it and then he gives completely contradictory stories that the film just presents as like the truth the unquestioned truth it's fascinating
4: because anyone who was making a documentary film on alex jones who had enough footage to comb through would immediately discover that he's a pathological liar completely on their own there's like There's no question that that would happen to any honest documentary filmmaker in the process of making a serious documentary film about Jones, especially if you're spending the, not, not just combing through old footage to see all of his pathological lying and changing his story, but even just being around him that long, how can you not see it? That's the, that's the most suspicious thing to me about this documentary is I haven't seen it myself. You guys did, but. It doesn't make any sense how there couldn't be anything included that would show Alex Jones as a liar because he lies every single day even to his own audience and his own audience is just goes along with it because they're cult members. I mean he lied straight to their faces about Pizzagate. He made it sound like he never endorsed it and stuff like that on live on his show. That's going to be the end of part 1 of our episode on Alex Jones. Please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio if you aren't already. For as little as $5 per creation or per month, you get access to one exclusive bonus episode per month. We have something like 50 hours of exclusive content only available to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to become a subscriber, please go to patreon.com slash media roots radio. And if you'd like to listen to part two of this episode... It's already out, so make sure to check out our feed for that. Take care, everybody.